Who are we? We are makers, makers of good meals and good friends, makers of craft beer and creations, makers of margin, room in our budgets, an extra seat at the table, makers of laughter. And as a church community, we're also making something, namely space. We are making space the way Jesus did in his 33 years on this pale blue dot. Before that, he was not with us, and then in a moment, he was among us. And because he lived as one of us, he gets us. Jesus is something more that we can't quite always put our finger on. To Andre, a third grader, Jesus is a superhero, the most real one of them all, because Andre knows Jesus is with him when he's bullied. To Alyssa, a high schooler, Jesus isn't the storybook superhero anymore. He has rescued her from loneliness or addiction. To Leah and Mark, Jesus is the reason they have become a safe haven for the most vulnerable in our city, their foster children. To Sophia, who's in her 20s, Jesus is at her side navigating crucial life decisions. To Kara, a single parent, Jesus is the one who gives her the strength to work two and a half jobs to make ends meet and help her 13-year-old study for algebra two. To each one of us, Jesus is something different. To the collective us, though, he is love's definition. Which brings us to the question, why are we here? For anyone who, like us, knows that their best strategies are what got them here but won't help them become the whole people they really want to be. 2,000 years ago, God sent Jesus as an arrow in his bow, and he sent that arrow to be among us so that we could see God, to see how God thinks and feels and lives, to see what he laughed and cried at. Jesus was among us. And in his last words, he gave the job of being arrows to you and I. We are the new arrows sent to live the way Jesus lived among people, eating meals, sharing conversations, and meeting needs. Not everyone is going to come to 12175 Strangline Road, so we're making space to build relationships wherever we are, with neighbors from Kansas to Kenya, with people who may not be like us but live next to us, with as many of our 7.594 billion neighbors as we are privileged to know. Jesus called those who joined his movement family. He built team and he didn't go alone. He took others with him and wherever we're going, we will do the same. We will live among people building communities who will do God's work in our city. Like Jesus, we're being sent like arrows to every sphere of society, soccer fields, bar classes, boardrooms, cul-de-sacs, and apartment complexes to make space for building relationships that make Jesus first. Because we know his life, death, and resurrection unlock true life, both here and into eternity. That's who we are. That's why we're here and where we're going. We can't wait for you to be a part of it too. Well, I think that so well captures us, who we are and why we're here as a church for the world. See, that's been true of us from our humble beginnings 30 plus years ago to be for the unchurched, making Jesus real to everyday people in everyday language that we can understand. We are an arrows out people, trying to help each one of us do that as best we can. And so today we'll talk about that, our mission of accomplishing God's mission by making space to build relationships to make Jesus first. But I'm a little ahead of myself. Um, hi, Hartland. Welcome. 
Good morning. So good to be together here in the room and, and online, however you're joining us, whether this is your first time or your first time in a long time, or whether you're here with us every time we gather, I want to say welcome. As a church, we want to help you take your first steps or your next steps towards Jesus and towards community, and so if we can help you do that in any way, we would love to do so. For those tuning in online, immediately following the service, you can join us at our digital hub, our virtual hub, and there'll, there'll be folks who can help you take steps towards Jesus and towards community. And for those here on site, we have our non-virtual hub out those doors where you can stop and meet someone, and they can help you as you take your steps towards Jesus and towards community. Well, Heartland, whenever we gather, we do want to say thank you. Thank you for the ways that you give so generously of yourselves, of your time and your talent and your financial resources out of worship for God and commitment to our church family. However you choose to give, we want to say thank you. For those of you who give financially here on site through the green boxes, thank you for doing that. For those of you who give online uh, safely and securely, thank you for those. And, and there are those who, like my family, have chosen to set up an automatic giving plan there just as a way of, of giving first every paycheck or every month. However you choose to give, thank you, because it really does make a difference uh, and allows us to be and do what God wants us to be and do around here. Well, a few quick updates for you of ways you can make a difference this month. First is through Meals for the Heart. This is our food packing event uh, where we've been able to, to give over a million meals uh, over the past number of years. And our goal this time is to package a thousand meals just like this that we'll do together Friday the 30th of October and Saturday morning the 31st. You can sign up for a two-hour slot of, uh, these would be tables of about six or seven. And of course, we're taking social distancing. Everyone wears masks every time we gather here on site for our, for our safety and so that we can continue to gather. But this is a great way for families to come together or communities to come together, and we'll be able to package 100,000 meals. Uh, and so would you join us by signing up for that? We need you to do so by October 15th so that we can make preparations. That's this week. But it's a great way to pay it forward. And these will stay in the U.S. Uh, this time around to help those people and families who are struggling related to the COVID pandemic. Another way you can take steps and get involved and make a difference is to join us November 1st. This is our community rally as we finish our manifesto series, our new thing that God's doing. Love for you to join us Sunday night, 7 o'clock, here in this room or online. It's where we'll talk about where we're going as a church community. And for those of you who've made Heartland home or are considering making home, uh, it is a time where we'll come together, we'll share where God, we believe, is taking us and how you can be a part of that. So join us for that. Well, we're at the midway point in our Sunday series called New Thing, a Heartland Manifesto, and it's an important sort of hinge Sunday for us because for four weeks, we've looked at who we are as a church community the DNA that God has created in us, that we're a Jesus-first people who are always pointing our lives out like arrows, prioritizing relationships that make a difference, one life, one family, one person, one generation at a time. 
And so starting today and for the next four weeks, we're turning the page to why we're here. Talking about things that are very important to us, our mission, our vision, our values, and the like. Because we believe God is doing something unique and beautiful and new. And today, in just a few moments, my dear friend Shibu Matthew will be sharing about our mission as a church. If you were to get on a hundred different websites of churches, you would see a hundred different mission statements, all of them beautiful and good. But here's the way we describe God's mission for us. We make space for building relationships to make Jesus first. And we love that because it's so simple, it's tangible, it's a way every one of us can make a difference wherever we are. It's so simple, a 12-year-old can not only grasp it, but live it out. And we don't say that condescendingly. Any 12-year-olds here today? Any 12-year-olds online? If you're 12 and you're here online, stand up if you would. It's not going to be weird, but if you're 12, please stand up because we believe in you. We believe you have everything in you to make space. In your middle school or junior high, on your sports team, on your dance troupe, you can make space to build relationships to make Jesus first. Whether you're 12 or 24 or 48 or 84, this is the way our vision, the way we reach the city and the world for Jesus, it's the way all of us do our part. By stepping into what God wants to do, we make space for building relationships to make Jesus first. And so I'd love for you to join me in welcoming Shibu Matthew as he unpacks this a little bit more. Let's welcome Shibu. Okay, so I was uh, 18 years old, and I was in Tulsa at college, and uh, I got a package at the campus post office. And the package I received a few weeks earlier was chocolate chip cookies from my former youth pastor's wife, and they were uh, yellow cake mix chocolate chip cookies. We loved them. They were so delicious. But when they arrived at my box, they were all, they were shattered. They were, there was not a whole cookie, but it didn't matter. I was a college kid. Cookies from Olathe were arriving in Tulsa. It was awesome. And so that was a couple weeks earlier, and so I got another slip of paper, and so my hopes were like, another package, more cookies from Rhonda. And, uh, and I took it to the front desk, and the woman at the front desk said, you're going to need a hand with this package. And so I called my roommate over and said, hey, I guess this is a big package. Can you help me carry it up to the third floor of our Wesley dorm? And, and so it was a package this tall, and I could not get my hands around it. It was huge. And so we, we, we put it on a cart across the parking lot and into the Wesley dorm and up the elevator to the third floor. Got it into the dorm room, like squished it in the door bay, basically, uh, and, and started ripping it open. And I realized I have no idea what this thing is. And as we ripped the cardboard away, I realized it's a double cam compound hunting bow. Not expecting this. I'm like... What? And I look at the sender, and it's Kelly, Kelly Lovelace. We called him Love Buns. We found out in college they called him Love Buns, and so we did not let him forget that. Uh, but he was my youth pastor. And, and then I remembered, like a year earlier, Kelly, when I was 17, he told me that he wanted to go hunting with me. And I have never been hunting, and Kelly was trying to talk me into it. And I was like, oh, dude, my family doesn't hunt. I don't know how to do that. And, and so next thing you know, fast forward a year later, without any, like, warning... <laughs> I now have a weapon in my dorm room. 
(laughs) Thankfully, my RA, my resident advisor was there, and he was like, dude, don't, like, pull the bow back and let go without an arrow in there. You'll, like, really mess up the gears and the cams. And I'm like, okay, help me. And (laughs) I'm learning how to be an archer in this moment. Now, what... uh, what I didn't know at the moment was that Jeremy and Ben, two buddies, would call me, and we'd all graduated together, and they said, we got bows too. This was Kelly's graduation gift to the three of us, these incredibly amazing technology devices called the double cam compound bow. So I began my entry, bought the wrist guard. I had just all the issues of learning to be an archer and And what it spoke to me, though, was this. Kelly, here in Olathe, Kelly had made space in his budget times three because it was not a cheap gift. This was like a for real, I believe you can hunt with me gift. (laughs) And he made space in his calendar. He said, hey, when you come back for Thanksgiving or Christmas, bring the bow because we're going to go to the archery range and I'm going to teach you. And and I had left the youth group. Like, I was, he had no obligation to invest in me, but Kelly made space to build a relationship with me, even after he didn't, quote unquote, have to. Space like that, uh, space in his budget, space in his calendar, space for a deepening friendship, that's stuff that's really challenging for us to find. Like in this, in our day and age, finding space in your budget and in your calendar and just in your your head (laughs) is really challenging to do. And it's partly because of these, like, these are always on. They're giving us more, more connections, more information. And, and so I, I, I broke a couple weeks ago. I, I went to my settings and started blocking websites that are like I never thought I'd have to block. CNN.com, FoxNews.com, three or four others. I just like, I need my brain back, you know, <laughs> because I know where the thumb goes. The thumb automatically goes to the browser and tries to find what the latest thing is and and now I'm, I've got some headspace back. I made some space to build a relationship with me, you know, and to be myself again. And, and so that's what we're talking about today is what are really simple, clear things that we can do and, and something that's 12-year-old level clarity, something that we can all get around. And that's our mission statement, making space for building relationships to make Jesus first. That's what we're talking about today. And I want to go to another 12-year-old. And it's not just any 12-year-old, but it is Jesus, the 12-year-old. We have one slice of Jesus' life when he was a pre-adolescent. Now, adolescence is an interesting phenomena because it didn't exist as little as 100 years ago. We were an agrarian society, and kids just grew up and started doing the thing. You didn't really go to school to do a thing. You just started doing the family thing. And 2,000 years ago, adolescence was less of a thing. Right now, researchers would say that adolescence begins around 10 and ends at 25. That's like not a joke. That's like for real. That's what they think happens. And the male prefrontal cortex is fully developed at 25. Girls get there a little sooner, like 21, 22. But boys, that explains some of the decisions that we might make in our college and post-college years. Uh, but 2,000 years ago, adolescence was not a thing. Like, you were 12, and then you were 13. You were a boy or a girl, and then you were a man or a woman. And that happened for the Jewish faith in a ceremony, in a moment. And so this 12-year-old Jesus that we're going to interact with today in Luke chapter 2 is 12 years old, and he's attending his final like Passover as a child. Passover was the feast, the holiday that celebrated their rescue from Egypt that had happened. 
that Moses had been the savior that had rescued God's people from Egypt. And every year they celebrated the Passover and, and it happened wherever you were, but if you could, you went to Jerusalem for the Passover. And so Mary and Joseph take Jesus and the other siblings that, and their extended family and they pile in, load their uh, essentials onto donkeys or horses, but they have to walk 60 miles from Nazareth to Jerusalem and it's a three-day journey and they are walking, covering about 20 miles a day and, and this is like the desert. This is, this is a long journey, but it was really important for them because at the end, when they returned from this Passover, Jesus was going to be a man. For 12 years, he had heard instruction from his parents and now he would be responsible for all that instruction he'd received. Are you still with me? I feel like I'm moving fast, but we got a lot to cover. Okay, so here they are. Now they're, they've left Nazareth. They get to Jerusalem. The Passover is awesome. Like they play the games. Yeah, there were games to celebrate the Passover. There were uh, lots of fun family memories. You're with your cousins, people coming from the other side of Jerusalem that met you in Jerusalem and the sacrifices at the temple. And there was just so much going on and it finally finishes and the family just kind of, you know that moment after a, an epic family vacation where you just kind of like, that was good. And they now have to do the hard work of loading up and heading back to Nazareth, but, but it was worth it. And it's that, at that moment that they load up and head back that the caravan system, just so you know, the men traveled ahead and the women and children traveled here and there was a fair amount of distance when they caravaned. And so there were caravan stops where they would stop after day one and, and set up tent and, and rest for the night. And then day two, get after the next 20 miles and then day three, but it was somewhere along day one where Mary has the moment. It's the, it's the home alone Kevin moment. Kevin! Like, Jesus! Like, she can't see him. She's like looking. She's not there. He's not there. He's not there. Uh, look, go, go to that group. See if he's there. Can't find him. He's missing. They, they can't get to the men because they're further along, so they have to get to the rendezvous point at the end of the day to like really take attendance and realize that Jesus is, Jesus is not there. 20 miles into their journey, downhill from Jerusalem to Nazareth, they're like, he's not, he's not here. Mary and Joseph have lost the Son of God. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> it's okay, parents, if you lose your kid. Mary and Joseph did it too, you know? Oh, my goodness. And so there's this moment of like, Mary... And I'm just imagining, but she remembers Jesus. You know, your kids drop clues. And Jesus has asked her, hey, can we stay? Like, I, this is a lot of fun. Can we stay here? I feel like we should stay here. And Mary's like, no, we got to get the dog from Pet Ranch. And we got the, the Chiefs game here. We got we to gotta get back to normal life, Jesus. And there's just a sense that uh, she knows he's in Jerusalem. And so Mary and Joseph, I picture, get a little shut eye and get up as soon as they can 20 miles back to Jerusalem, uphill to Jerusalem. And you can imagine as a parent, perhaps, the words and the thoughts running through your mind, you know, like, I cannot believe this. He didn't tell us. And, and so she knows. They enter Jerusalem in the old quarter and they get to the temple and, and they know, like, she's got this sense. He's there. And that's, that's where we pick up the story here. Luke chapter two, after three days, here's what uh, the writer of the gospel says. After three days, they found him, Jesus, in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. 
Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. <laughs> it's a, the question in bold there, son, why have you treated us like this? It's a question every 12-year-old has received. <laughs> it's a question that every child has received, like, why are you talking to me like this right now? Why are you treating me like this? Well, it's because, not to like explain it away, not to excuse it, but it is because the child has become an adult. And for us, that's a 15-year process in 2020. But for Jesus, it was like, remember, I'm a man now. I, I have priorities and, and I actually have two dads is the subtext here. Like, I, I have an earthly mother and father, but I have a heavenly father, God who sent me, who I've spent much of my time with before this 33-year period on planet Earth. And that's my priorities. Jesus' response is really telling, fascinating. We could spend 30 minutes looking at Jesus' response, but here's what he says to his parents. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Didn't you know my priorities? Like, didn't you know that I came from a father to be with you and I love you, but I have a, a different authority to respond to? It's a, I mean, Mary and Joseph they were the parents to raise Jesus. You know, I don't know that anyone else could have handled it. But to be, to be in that spot is fascinating. And so Jesus' response really indicates a couple things, or one thing, his priorities. And we just kind of know how he's going to spend his time. And what I want to suggest today is that I could unearth your priorities if you gave me access to two things. Those two things are on, on my phone, but they are my calendar and my mint transaction history. <laughs> If you could see those two things, you'd know the priorities for me. You'd know that I just bought two kayaks this week. <laughs> Inflatable kayaks, they were on sale, it was awesome, and I got to take them out yesterday with my family. You'd, you'd know that like, you spent money on that, you plan on using that, and then as I look at your calendar, there's five hours at Olathe Lake that are here on the calendar. And so clearly your priorities are to spend some quality time with your family. Or you would see me driving, like many of us do, uh, especially if you have a spouse who loves Facebook Marketplace, I find myself in all corners of the city right now, picking up rugs and blankets and boots. and <laughs> just like, where are you headed today? Can you drive that way to get this? And, and these are part of our priorities, to acquire stuff on the cheap. You know, Perhaps that would be the, the value and the, the priority that you would identify. And for Jesus, we don't see his checkbook, and we don't see like what he spends money on, but we do see how he spends his time. And it's pretty clear that for Jesus, three days at the temple were how he wanted to spend his time. He made space for building relationships with his father at the temple and with this group of new friends that he does not really know, but they are learning him and he is learning them, questions back and forth. They are amazed at him. He is just holding court, interacting with them at what's probably really fascinating theological debate and and there's a sense that he's building relationships and it's all to make Jesus first and to make Father first. And it's fascinating. Now, the, 
the question for you and I is how, how do we make space? If I'm not asking for your calendar or your mint transaction history, but, but what reflective work could you do to learn what margin you have or don't have? Like if I came to you today and said, hey, I need five hours this week because there's this person that needs moved and can you help me for five hours this week? Or conversely, hey, I need $500 for this need. Would you, like me, would you like freak out a little bit because your time and money are important? Be like, wait, 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 tell me how big the need is. Uh, Why can't this person rent a moving company? (laughs) Or why don't they have access to somebody else's truck? Or like $500, help me understand the need here. Like you would have a lot of questions, rightly so. But I just, I, I wonder if there's a way to create space in our lives that would help us build some relationships. And not just relationships with like the furthest out, but yes, but also the relationships closest in, you know? I, I spent time on the kayak with two kids yesterday, my kids, and they're the most important priorities in my life. You know, like there's no... No, like, oh, I wish I could have that time back in any regard with, with my wife and my kids. But there are other things where I wish I could have my time back. And so you get, the number I want you to think about today is 168. That's how many hours you and I get in a week. Warren Buffett gets 168, and you and I get 168. And Lord willing, I will sleep for 56 of those hours, you know. I will work here for another 40 to 45. So that's about 100 hours. I got 68 hours left. Where are they going? What are they spent doing? And so I think this, this, this message today, what I want it to do is be a mirror for you to say, what are my priorities? How am I making space for building relationships from the closest in to the furthest out? And I do have a relationship with myself. Like I need to take care of that. I need to take care of my family. But, but who furthest out is Jesus calling me to be in relationships with? building relationships with. So a couple of things I think of are uh, uh, when you create margin, when you create the space in your calendar, it's going to mean that you say no to some things. And so on Friday nights from 6 to 9 p.m., you'll see the words fire pit in my calendar. It's become our neighborhood tradition. I have this jankety old fire pit that is on two legs instead of three right now. It's probably not a good idea, but, but it sits in the middle of our driveway and the fire's lit by 5.30. The roasting sticks are out by six and hot dogs for six weeks has become a little bit old, but we're just rolling with it. And it's just a lot of fun to watch the kids play and the adults interact in our cul-de-sac. And so it means that somebody could invite me to something or I could have something come up on a Friday night, but it's gotta be a deeper yes than that one for me to say yes to it. And I've just learned that, no, this is the fire pit on Fridays is a pretty deep yes for us right now. But it does mean I have to say no to some other things. Makes me think of, uh, of how you'll be misunderstood when you do these priorities, when you kind of make some space. People don't understand why you're making space the way you are. They didn't understand Jesus because Jesus left at one point for 40 days. Like that's APB type gap of time, like, Let's find Jesus. Where is he? 40 days, like at two weeks in, you're like, he's coming back soon, right? But he's 40 days in the wilderness, okay? And he comes back and this is regular for Jesus to spend time away from the the pace and the grind and the busyness of things so that he can care for himself, so that he can build relationships with people in Samaria who aren't like the people in Jerusalem. And he's all over building relationships, making space for that. There are people that, 
need healing that he, he leaves. He leaves them in their illness and goes somewhere else. Misunderstood is, is his MO. He just, you can't figure out why he does this unless you're willing to kind of step into it and explore why, why is he going there? Oh, because he was human and he was taxed and he needed a nap, you know. And so for me, uh, what that looks like is every month, an eight-hour desert day. This is something that the, uh, the church tradition for thousands of years, they call them the desert mothers and fathers, but they just spent time in the desert. Some of them, like, their whole lives in the desert. Some of them retreated to the desert, and in the desert, which was not just a hot, arid place, but the desert was just a place for them to be by themselves. And so I do a desert day every month. It's like the first week of the month. I try to lock it in. I've been doing it for three years. It is the most important time of my month. And I guarantee you I'm likely misunderstood as I say that (laughs) because you'd probably love for me to like spend eight hours on sermon research or (laughs) there's this person in the hospital that needs tended or taken care of or prayed for and this or that. And what I'm finding is I can't do those things if I'm not doing this thing. And so it, when I started, it was two or three hour blocks, but we've, we've stretched it out. And it's like a solid day where I'm away from the phone is off and email and I'm not on. I'm just there to be with God. A few weeks ago, um, this got really like uh, really sticky for me because I was late on sermon prep. I had not gotten stuff done. And I came into the office on a Saturday afternoon and I was, I was coming in hot. Like I was angry at five different things and I'm sitting down trying to write a sermon on probably how to love people. You know, it's like, this is hard. And I heard, I felt God say, hey, would you get up and would you walk around your desk and would you sit in the black chair, which is this reading chair that I have in my office. And I was like, I don't want to do that. That doesn't make sense right now. But I got up and I walked and sat in the chair and I set the timer for five minutes. And I sat there, and this crinkled kind of brow just like began to slowly kind of, and I, I, I had a sense that like God was just saying, hey, like a mother or father would, just kind of saying, hey, just relax, like the, the wrinkles, dude, isn't that stressful? Like, would you just kind of smooth those out? Let me, let me smooth those out for you. And I sat there a few minutes in, it's kind of going on. I'm feeling a lot better. Like this has been a helpful five minutes on the couch, but the timer hasn't gone off yet. I'm like, I haven't started the timer is what I realized. Like I've been sitting here for eight minutes, seven minutes on the black chair, not doing what I needed to do. But here God pointed out to me that, hey, that, that seven minutes was the most important minutes of your week. That's where, that's where I got to be with you. That's where I got to care for your really angry heart. That's where I got to to really connect with you, was during that seven minutes. So I returned to the desk and got to knock out the writing, and it was great, and moved on with my day. But it was a lesson for me. It was like, okay, I'm going to think this is a waste of time, spending time with God, and I'm a professional pastor. I'm going to think that about that just because it's my human default to like turn away from God. It's all of ours. So I'm going to always think that that's a waste of time. I hope not, but 
But like I do, and so I need God to remind me to turn back to him. Your budget. Uh, my wife and I used to call it a nudge fund. Is another way that you could make space. And we just said, hey, we're going to toss some dollars in the nudge fund. And then when we have a nudge during the month, we know that there's some dollars set aside to do something with, with that nudge. We're not left empty-handed uh, with that nudge. There's a few ways that you could consider making some space. Calendars, budgets, taking care of yourself, building relationships is the, is the, is the big idea. So confession, I, I talked to Kelly about a year and a half into trying to become a hunter. I told him I can't do it. Not because I can't kill something. I, I literally suck at archery. <laughs> I, just can't, I can't do it, dude. I don't have the time to put in. And, I just, and he says, well, you know, you gave it a try. You can, I, I bless you to sell the bow. <laughs> he let me sell the bow. And I, so I, I sold it and, and realized that uh, um, Kelly didn't make me a bow hunter, but he made me something else. And that something else was, um, as I left for college, he told me and Jeremy and Ben that we were supposed to be youth pastors. And uh, me and Jeremy and Ben went to college to study engineering and accounting and accounting. Because <laughs> that was foolish. I did not want to be a youth pastor. Uh, and it was now 2005, and I was working here at Heartland with teenagers when I had the aha. That back in 1999, Kelly told me that I would be doing this. I called Kelly, he was living in South Dakota at the time, and said, hey man, it worked, like I'm a youth pastor, but I wouldn't tell all the kids in the youth group to be youth pastors, it's not really, like it messes with our drive, it messes with what we think our major's supposed to be, it kind of jacks with us a little bit, so don't do that, and he just said, boo, I, I told three people that in my 20 year youth pastor career, and it was you, Jeremy, and Ben, <laughs> it's like, wow, okay. Well, keep listening to God <laughs> and telling people what you think they should do with their lives because that's pretty good. Because what I realized was I was here doing youth ministry and just a few miles away, Ben and Jeremy were working at TLC. TLC is a, a home that helps um, children struggling with different behavioral disorders and autism. And all three of us were doing youth ministry uh, in the year 2005. Now, Kelly made space to build a relationship with me and these other guys. And, and they were relationships to make Jesus first. We had Jesus first conversations all the time. What Kelly had no way of knowing was that I would, and these other two guys would begin investing in teenagers ourselves and, and hundreds of leaders and students that I've gotten to invest or lives I've gotten to be a part of. And now I'm seeing a student in China, solving water crises there as an engineer, and I'm seeing a church planter kid who used to be in our youth group over here, and I'm seeing a doctor over here, and I'm seeing all these different tentacles of, yeah, my investment, but more importantly, Kelly's investment, because he made space to intentionally, with his dollars and with his budget, build a relationship with me. So that's my, my challenge for you, is to... Uh, to ask you, how could you make space? What's that look like this week? And, and building relationships. Can we put our uh, mission statement up there, Wayne? Making space. We make space for building relationships to make Jesus first. I want you to notice the participle there, building. Like, it's not go begin, but it's literally like the relationships you have. How can you take the kids under your wing and build those relationships? How can you build new relationships too? That's 
that's included. Because what you do with your time, what you do with your 168 hours this week, really will have an echo into another person's life, into another person's life. So we couldn't be more excited about our mission statement because it really, as a, as a leader, we knew that becoming the church among the unchurched was kind of hard to ask a 12-year-old to do. But we knew that making space for building relationships to make Jesus first was something that a lot of us could do because we could go to our calendars and we could go to our accounts and our budgets and say, I'm going to make some space. And here's what I'm doing with that space. And I'm going to hold the ground on that space because something's going to come in and try to infringe on that space. And I'm going to keep the space protected there. I'm going to pray for us here in just a moment, but that's the, that's the challenge today. How do you make space? What's that look like for you? Does it look like something in your backyard? Does it look like something at your office? Does it look like something, a nudge fund? What does it look like? It can look like a million different things. That's why we love that mission statement. But what it does is it gets us all on the hook for, hey, how are you doing that? And we can start to have these space-making conversations with one another to see that we opened up a spot at the dinner table and this is what happened. Or we made space in our home for the foster care system to feel some relief. And this entire city, our entire neighborhood has been changed for the better. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we come to you as Heavenly Father and Jesus, you chose Heavenly Father over earthly parents that day when you were 12. And so we pray for that kind of clarity that we could choose you above all the other things our world has to offer. And would you show us how to bake space for building relationships? Jesus, you built 12 of them deeply and then many more. And so would you teach us your ways of building into the relationships that we currently have and and show us who to invest in in the future. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks. Have a great day. It's Raider week. Go Chiefs.